HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Bordeaux Wines. Red, white, rosé, there's a reasonably priced wine for everyone and for every occasion. For more information, visit bordeaux.com slash US. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Um, your host, Joe Campanelli, and I'm going to give myself a quick shameless plug. Uh, when I'm not hosting In the Drink, I make a small amount of wine in Italy, and you can find it at all sorts of great restaurants and retail stores, mostly in New York. A few new ones that uh, just started would be Gotham Bar and Grill and Union Square Cafe awesome restaurants. Um, but go to anonawines.com and you can find the whole list of uh, where to find the wines. And uh, you can always email me at joe at anonawine for questions about the wine or about the uh, the podcast. If you'd like to see any guests, if, you're, if there are any questions you're dying for me to answer, uh, I'm available for you. Uh, all right. So I'm really excited about today's show. Uh, we have two guests in the studio. They run the bar, The Up and Up. Uh, it is an outstanding cocktail bar in Greenwich Village. New York City. It was named one of Esquire's best bars in America. They've gotten all sorts of other uh, accolades and awards. Um, we have Chaim Dowerman. He's the head bartender. And Matt Piacentini. He is also a bartender and he is the owner of the Up and Up. I am so excited to have you guys in the studio today. Your bar is outstanding. I'm a big fan. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Um, so you guys met when you were working at Enoteca Licori um, up in Murray Hill, right? Can you tell tell me about when you first met and uh, and how how this uh, working relationship came to be? Well, I had started out as a bar back at Bar Milano uh, shortly after it opened, and uh, it became Enoteca Licori shortly after I started there. And uh, I, through that transition, was able to very quickly move up from bar back to bartender to bar manager. And uh, ran the program there for a while, about a year or so. And then uh, Haim came along, we met, and uh, I hired him. And I shortly thereafter left to open the Beagle in the East Village, and he took over my position. 
and we've stayed in contact ever since. I mean, it was a it was a, a, a very good working relationship from the start. The the interview was really just us sitting across the table from each other complaining about the same things and agreeing about the same things and celebrating the same things and uh and then before i knew it i was training and i had been bartending for uh, several years at that point but hadn't really worked with cocktails uh, uh at least not in a focused way with someone who was serious about doing them correctly uh, and it was something that i very much wanted to learn can you give me any insight as to what you were complaining about or excited about at that time? Uh, oh, God, I, I, don't, I don't even know. I well, mean, I'm was... sure we probably talked about how hard it was to find a decent drink in the city and probably talked about, I mean, this was 2009, mind mm -hmm. you, so uh, it yeah. was hard to find a decent drink in the city back then. It was also um, hard to find people who wanted a decent drink. Mm -hmm. You know, we were... We, Lacori Bar had been built as this sort of it was a separate room from the the main restaurant, and uh, it had been designed by Tony Abuganem, and it was just at that time an absolute state of the art cocktail making you know machine. And then it became Enoteca, and the people coming in didn't necessarily want the kind of drinks that mm -hmm. that bar was designed to make. We didn't care. Mm -hmm. That's what we were making, you know. It's like someone giving you a Porsche and saying, you know, just drive it real slow. Just drive around the parking yeah. lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think there was this, it, it was a great place. We had a ton of fun because we were just back there and, using it completely to of, our disposal. You know, a, a lot of freedom because yeah. the identity of the place was wine and food. And we sort of, there wasn't a lot of pressure put on us yeah. to yeah. do anything. So because of that, we did really wonderful, awesome things, I think, for the time. Um, and uh, at the same time, had the freedom and the space to really learn a whole lot and experiment with a lot of things and, and do a lot of things correctly, a lot of things incorrectly. And uh, a lot of well-known bartenders and figures in the city came out of that bar working, yeah, definitely. working under Matt. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, the owners were... were you know they had this this great bar attached to their restaurant and if we if we could come up with a drink or do something that people would buy and they could make some money on it they were great they were happy yeah you know? i feel like the newest generation of people getting into the industry now who maybe didn't experience Enoteca downtown and Lacori and, and Eno, which I used to go to. Uh, I, I went to NYU and was there all the time. Like they missed out on a whole phase of really cool Italian hospitality. Um, and it, for me, it's amazing that uh, this is the first time that we're meeting because I feel like I've I've followed your career, Matt, ar around quite a bit. Like I, I was a big fan of, of the Beagle. My, my girlfriend Alyssa went there even more than than I did. Um, it was just an outstanding place. Thank uh, you. Uh, and now I'd love to know about uh, how you guys kind of kept in touch and got started working on on the up and up together. Well, I, I became a fixture at the Beagle mm -hmm. uh, from opening. My favorite seat was the, the seat all the way up towards the window. Um, and uh, I went there a lot because, A, I'm good friends with Matt. B, it was a great bar. C, I was also friends with a lot of other people who worked there. Uh, everybody who worked there, and it was also um, only a few blocks away from where I was working at the time, which was a bar called Gin Palace. Uh, Gin Palace was just four blocks down Avenue A, 
and I started out bartending there and eventually went on to run that bar. And so it was an easy sort of neighborhood hang for me. And I don't think that's why we kept in touch, but it was definitely, a I think, a big part of how we kept in touch, if that makes sense. Definitely, definitely. I mean, we always have had our sort of agreements about things, you know, certain certain things that I know that everyone else in the world might think I'm crazy, he will completely understand what I'm talking about and go, oh my God, I've been thinking about that incessantly. And so when it came time to do the up and up, uh, you know, I had found this space on McDougal Street in Greenwich Village, which is a, you know, kind of an interesting, not exactly kind of street you would expect for a sort of fancy cocktail bar. And uh, I knew if it was going to be successful, it had to work. It kind of had to have one foot on either side of that line. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I lived a block away from I lived at the uh, Hayden dorms on Washington Square West when I went to NYU. Oh, yeah. So that was uh, maybe two blocks away. Yeah. And so it, it, I'm so interested as to why you would choose McDougal Street. And you, you made it work. So congratulations. But it's it's not, I mean, I guess like Mineta across the street kind of paved the way for good stuff on that, you know, that, on that street. That was yeah. the thing. Um, yeah. You know, it, I wasn't looking for a space on McDougal Street, but that's what found me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the deal was very good. And the landlord was not asking for anything unreasonable uh, compared to the other spaces. And that's other, so rare in Manhattan these days. Yeah, so exactly. That's a place to start. Yeah. So there was a little bit of a idea that, you know, this could be done without too much, you know, without a ridiculous amount of, of investment, um, which made the risk a little more worth it. Um, and uh, I knew pretty much right away that, that Heim was going to be the guy because of just what he had done since we parted ways at Enoteca. He just had that perfect mix of working at, you know, the most precision-based cocktail bars in the city, but also places like Gin Palace that was purely, you know, hospitality, guest-focused kind of a party, and I knew that it, it had to be both those things, and he was really the guy, and I knew that he just, you know spends you know he's, he's obsessed with the philosophy of hospitality and and all of that and there's just no one's going to work harder yeah i know you guys have a, a motto that sort of drives the things that you do can you talk about how you came up with that how, was is it important for you did you have a motto at, at the, well, it, the beagle it was i mean it was matt's motto before we even opened it was high high end low key yeah which matt used to describe the ambiance but I think that when you open a, a bar, you don't always know exactly what it's going to be. You know what you want it to be. But in the end, the bar kind of tells you what it's going to be and how it's going to be that. And you either listen and adapt and nurture that or you don't and in a lot of cases fail. And I think that high end, low key sort of also came to embody everything about what we do, but particularly the type of hospitality that we try to give to guests. Yeah, for me, it's it's sort of always been a, a a point of reference for any type of hospitality venture, and and it's the high end is the sort of sensation based aspect of it, the things that you touch, the things that you see, the things that you you know that you eat and drink. Uh, it's all very very high end. We use expensive booze. We have nice decor, nice furniture, nice glassware, and it's a high-end experience. The low-key is how you feel when you're there. Mm-hmm. It's relaxed. It's easy. It's 
it's nice. You you say, wow, I'm 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 not used to having such nice stuff in such an easygoing place. Yeah, it's 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 not douchey. Everyone is nice there, and I, I like how also in the cocktails you. Yeah, uh, you call out the the ingredients that you're using, the brands that you're using, and I, I, I know someone who's run bars. Like those are expensive brands. Those are those are nice spirits that you're using in the cocktails for for your you know your house cocktails, and uh, so so kudos on on that. Um, and you talk about the uh, creative experience, how you guys come up with drinks. How do you how do you work together? I know Matt, you have other projects that you work on as well. Are you are you here mostly? Yeah, this is this is this primarily. I, I don't. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. So, how do, what's the creative process like for you guys then when you're coming up with it with a new drink? Is, uh, there, we, is there one? We do a lot of work separately, and then we we, we come we, together. Yeah, and no, the guys can see like they're Kaim just like cringe. He's no, like, no, 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 no. It's like, just it's funny <laughs> because I think everyone has a different um, uh, way of working, and I think that oh, there's a part of me that almost wishes I could fulfill the popular fantasy of how two people work on a cocktail together, yeah. which is I wake up in the morning, I say, I've got it. And I quickly text Matt and I say, Matt, what if we did this? And he says, that's great. I'm going to race to the bar. Now, we don't we don't really work together on and collaborate on, on drinks at all. But what we do is we bring our both of our viewpoints uh, in with the drinks we're working on. Mm-hmm. We taste each other on them. We make edits according to the other person's impressions. Um, and the real collaboration has come from the fact that our styles have rubbed off on each other in a big way. Mm-hmm. Where when we first opened two years ago, you could look at the menu and say, that's a Matt drink, that's a Chaim drink, that's definitely a Matt drink. And now you really don't know, you can't tell. We've started using each other's techniques in... Uh, you know, Matt tends to be, I think, driven more with classic ratios and mm-hmm. things that come directly out of the bottle. I'm really into making ingredients. I love creating syrups and tinctures and other things. And a lot of times we switch hats and mm-hmm. he's making something and I'm like, these three ingredients work great in equal parts and... So that's that's the collaboration. There's sort of a back channel there that we weren't aware of. Yeah, and it, it works out in the end. You, you know, we have a menu that has a, I think, a real breadth of styles. Um, you know, people can come in and, and say, you know, wow, look at this. This is this you know really interesting culinary creation with all of these sort of spices and different things going on. This is just a Manhattan variation. Mm-hmm. I think I'll have one than the other. Yeah. I mean, I'm always amazed by, uh, or there's an allure to the bartending side and creating cocktail because it, it's something that really truly is creative. And uh, I think that's what brought me into working on this wine project. Someone who's in hospitality and, and uh, as a wine guy, I was just more of a curator. It's like, this is other people's good work. Uh, so for me, it's it's interesting to understand like what drives your creativity and where that comes from and where you get inspiration from. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, do these ideas just come to you out of nowhere? Or have you, did you sometimes try something at another place and say, ah, like we could do a riff on that? Or where, where, do, where do you create your creative ideas come from? I'd say all of, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a drink on the menu right now that uh, 
completely came about because I was in Berlin over the summer and I, I my wife ordered a sherry cobbler at the hotel bar we were staying in and the bartender didn't know how to make that and what he came up with while it wasn't good it was a a, a sort of style of like he'd seen what a sherry cobbler is and tried to make that with what he had on hand and it was a really interesting take on it that mm-hmm. then I said I'm going to do this, you know, myself. And that was a sherry cobbler with no fresh ingredients whatsoever. Interesting. So sort of a preserved sherry cobbler. Um, All right. On that note, we're going to take just a quick break. We'll be back uh, with more from the guys from The Up and Up right after this. reputable and well-known wine regions in the world. While many are familiar with its legendary first growths, there is so much more to discover. Bordeaux offers a dynamic and diverse range of wines, different styles, different colors, and different price points. Did you know that Bordeaux produces crisp, refreshing whites? Or that many of its outstanding reds can be opened now and don't need years aging? Or that it's really easy to find a great bottle of Bordeaux for under $20? With such a diverse offering, Bordeaux wines can pair with a huge mix of contemporary foods and cuisines. Bordeaux wines. Red, white, rosé, there's a wine for everyone. For more information, visit bordeaux.com slash US. All right, we're back on In the Drink with Chaim Dowerman, head bartender of the Up and Up, and Matt Piacentini, owner and bartender at the Up and Up. Uh, these guys have just an outstanding bar in Greenwich Village. It is beautiful. The drinks are awesome, and the people are super nice. This is true hospitality in a cocktail bar. Uh, Chaim, you were mentioning uh, earlier that you like to put a lot of effort into creating unique ingredients to mix in with with your cocktails um i noticed that on on the uh on your cocktail list uh there are you know there are things like pistachio orgeat and um super interesting ingredients uh, that seems like it must be so much extra work for you on an every on a daily basis it's it's enough to like just get the bar open and and prep all of the fruit and do juices but if you're coming up with all these syrups and and other stuff i mean how much extra work is this how many how many things are you are you creating uh, on top of what someone would normally do if you're just opening up like you know a simple bar well when we first opened I made all of the syrups myself when we first opened we also were doing a certain amount of business where that was easy to accomplish um, but when it became clear that we were going to be a very busy bar and also that for the most part, the vast majority of our sales are cocktails, and the vast majority of those cocktails come from the menu. Uh, at a certain point, the hours didn't make sense for me to continue making everything myself. Mm-hmm. So several months ago, one of our bartenders, Ray, took took that on, which has kind of freed me up to focus on other aspects. On making more syrups for um, Ray to make? Actually, that is true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, every menu, he gets you know a few more recipes that he has to keep track of, but... 
It is a lot of extra effort, but it started from day one when Matt and I were working together at Enoteca. The first drink I ever put on that menu, or the first drink I ever put on any menu, featured a uh, fig preserves. It was fig preserves that I made uh, because I wanted figs in this drink, and that is how it all started, and I really enjoyed that. I like to cook, and I like to create. And I'm a big proponent of don't make something yourself if you can buy it and someone else is doing it really well. Mm -hmm. People ask me if I make my own bitters, and I always explain that that would be a colossal waste of my time. Right. But there are a lot of things that nobody's making, uh, or at least not making to my satisfaction, at which point that's when I step in. Very cool. Uh, and I think that, I mean, I think that's what separates, you know, that's what makes it unique in, in your own. Um, and, and I'm a big fan. I think that, that those things are, are awesome. One of the other things I noticed that's really cool about your, uh, about your cocktail list is that you have these insanely good versions of, uh, classic drinks. Um, can you talk about, about those, how you came up with that idea? Um, is there anything you've ever tried to do and was, uh, just impossible to make insanely good? It was much more effortless than you're supposing it might have been. Okay. It wasn't the insanely good section wasn't something that we sat down and said this is something our menu needs. No, it, it was, sort it was, of started very casually. Yeah, it was more of uh, what we were drinking. Uh, it started with the scotch and soda, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd come up with the scotch and soda, uh, and we liked it so much we wanted to sell it, and it. It, it didn't fit with the rest of the menu. You know, it was too too simple. So we had to figure out a, a section where we, it we, would fit. We had a we had a section. I want to say back in the day, but we've only been open for two years. But we had a section earlier on in our history called shift drinks, which was the uh, I think the subheading of it was what we'll be drinking after work. Yeah, and that was where the insanely good scotch and soda lived. But as we came up with more insanely good drinks it became the insanely good section so now we have a scotch and soda the gin and tonic and the midori sour, midori sour. and i think that's it yeah and it's just drinks that are familiar and but they are drinks that perhaps we've put a unique stamp on mm -hmm. not so unique that we can't call it that drink but unique enough that you can't get this you're not going to find it in another bar yeah, I, I recently had a, uh, a a kind of version of the same idea uh, at the Nomad Bar. It was an amaretto sour, mm -hmm. and it was freaking awesome. It was like the best cocktail I've had in a long time. And I love this. It's the familiar flavors, and I don't know if you're okay with the term elevating them, but uh, using you know good bartending techniques and better ingredients and making them more delicious, but still this, with the same flavors. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that applies you know across the across the board with food as well. I mean, if you take anything and make it with extremely good ingredients and really put a lot of thought into it, you know, you can have an insanely good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> I guess you could. That's a good point. I, I would like to try that. Uh, one of the things that I uh, admire about you guys, and, and again, I think you're, you're super creative, um, not only in the creation of the drinks, but in the naming of the drinks. And I found that that was... You know, uh, I, I'm not not on the same level as you guys in terms of creating cocktails. Even though I did 
some of that for for my restaurants, um, but certainly not on the same level in, in naming them either. I found that that was always so hard to do. And you guys are incredibly creative. It's not cheesy. How do you, how do you think about how do you come up with these names? How do you go about doing this? We're we're both very different in that regard as far as how we name drinks. Um, I think. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't really know Matt's process. I just know it usually ends up being a geography reference or a yeah, car Atlas reference. Uh, whereas for me, I you know, like most people who are in this business. I didn't set out to be a bartender in life. I when I moved to New York, um, I had other plans. Um, I am a writer. I, I'm a storyteller. That's really where my passion uh, for creating uh, manifested. Um, in a lot of my younger years and a lot of that creative energy gets taken out in the hospitality space now for me and so when people ask how a drink was created and what the name is I usually ask them do you want the short version or the long version because the long version usually involves telling a story about something that happened to me or someone I know Um, and so the name almost always has a reason, and the name always comes either while I'm making the drink or after the drink is already made. Whereas a lot of other bartenders I know keep a note on their phone of names to use. Um, Matt, what do you what do you do? I have a list of names to use, and I, I rarely have the opportunity to use one because whenever I come up with a drink, it's I like there to be some type of connection. I will I will usually start to research, you know, the the base spirit or if it's a mixture of two, you know, like something French and something, you know, Australian. Did they? Well, there is nothing Australian. That's a ridiculous thing to say. But uh, <laughs> there's nothing Australian. Well, I mean, you know, uh, and I'm thinking of an Australian uh, Australian liquor that we use, which we don't. Um, I'll try and find it. You know, is there anything that binds these two places mm-hmm. together? You know, a naval battle, something like that. Um, and I, I just kind of look through until I find something that's got a nice ring to it that applies in some way, and, and that's that's what I use. Okay, I think that's that's pretty smart. I wish uh, I'd spoken with you about that when I was back naming cocktails. Um, and the last thing I want to finish on is. Uh, you guys undoubtedly have a great cocktail bar. I really, I love it. You guys know that from listening to this that I, that I love it. But what do you think makes a good cocktail bar today? I think it has to be a good bar. Yeah. Before it could be a good cocktail bar. Take a good bar and then fill it with people who really want to be bartenders. What's a good bar, though? How do you define that? How do you, what makes it a good bar? I like how you guys both are like, yeah, it's got to be a good bar. But like, and you know, you, well, and you, and you so say that much, you both understand look, what that there, means. There, there's yeah. so much. Oh, I, all the time I'll have someone come from out of town and sit at my bar and they'll say, where should I go and get a drink? Where, what bar has the best drinks? Bar has the best drinks. That doesn't, that's such a small part of why you want to go to a bar. Mm-hmm. You know, what bar has, you know, there's a zillion things that need to be right before you want to go back to that bar again. And it has nothing to do with the drinks. It has to do with who's working there. It has to do with how are they dressed. It has to do with what's the music like? What are the light? What's the lighting like? How comfortable is the seat? How, what, what are the, what are the visual dynamics of the space? What, how do you feel when you're sitting there? What's the, there's so many intangible little things that come together. And I personally would rather go to a a bar that has terrible drinks 
a good bar that has terrible drinks than, than a terrible bar that has good drinks. As far as, and when I say terrible bar, I simply mean nothing else in there makes sense or works except that was a really beautiful cocktail that was put forward. Um, and so I guess when I'm saying a good bar, I mean that everything everything needs to be thoughtful and memorable and leave you with the, the right impression going in and coming out. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's going to be a canvas for whatever delicious thing you're going to put forward. I agree. I think all those points of, you know, the lighting, the seating, everything needs to be designed with the guest in mind. You know, what seating is going to be the nicest for them to sit in, not what seating is going to get me two extra people. Yeah. And, well, you guys nail it. And uh, I want to thank you so much for being guests on, on In the Drink. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Pleasure for us. Thanks a lot. I want to thank uh, David Tadishore, who uh, produces this show, and everyone at Heritage Radio Network. And thanks to you so much for listening. Uh, if you like the show, you can listen to all of our past uh, episodes. They've been archived at heritageradionetwork.org. And you can su- subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. We really appreciate any comments. Uh, feel free to leave comments or, as I said, send me an email. Email at Joe to Nona Wine, and I can answer any questions you have. Thanks so much. This is In the Drink. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.